and welcome to Real History. This episode today concerns the David Cronenberg directed Christopher Hampton written movie A Dangerous Mind Method. Sorry, I knew I was going to do that. <laughs> Dangerous Mind. I'm going to be doing that all <laughs> podcast, which is one of the reasons why I'm not going to edit it out because I need to get it right. So, A Dangerous <laughs> Method. My name is Hugh David. I am your co-host and co-producer at Real History, and with me is Hi, I'm Jenna. Carlos and co-producer. Sorry? I keep forgetting to add my second name. <laughs> you always do, but that's okay. People like you are you are Jenna the Jenna. Yeah. I think because I have such a rare name that people are like Yeah, we just know you as Jenna. Mm-hmm. Although well, I you are tell... you are a unique Jenna. <laughs> I did tell uh, Jack on our wedding day, you realise I'm getting rid of the one bit of my name people got right. <laughs> so for the rest of my life I'm Gemma Bateman. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is the thing. American Psycho needed a follow-up with a female, didn't it? You know, <laughs> Gemma Patrick, Bateman. <laughs> yeah, Patrick Bateman, his sister, Gemma Bateman. Actually, there is an American Psycho 2 that would take the video. I wonder if it did the plot. I'll have to look it up. But I'll save that for Hustlers of Culture. Here at real, my other podcast. Jack um, was really happy when he once got a letter to Mr. Pac-Man. <laughs> well, he's a gamer. Of course he's happy with that. <laughs> right. So today we are looking at... A very modern rendition of a play from actually last century. Christopher Hampton, one of Britain's most well-known playwrights, I would argue, and Mm. a very, very talented man. Um, Also with a great track record in writing films, scripting films, adapting other people's work, and also directing films. Yeah. Um, In some ways, I would argue all the films he's worked on have kind of shaped the public perception of period dramas. Mm. There's a certain look, a certain style, the, pe- the directors he's worked with, but also the dialogue he's created to put or, or adapted to go into people's mouths. I think there's very much. I think people who haven't seen something he's worked on or will go, oh yeah, that's what a British period drama looks mm. and sounds like. And I think people who have seen stuff he's done and don't know he did it will go, oh yeah. Um, but I think the big surprise for a lot of people, even though he's been doing them a while, is that this is from. Canadian director David Cronenberg, who is, of course, most famous for the first half of his career when he was the absolute master of body horror. Mm. Um, You know, one of the greatest horror film directors ever. Uh, And the list of films is classic. So when he switched from doing out-and-out horror to adaptations of, well, books, operas, plays, comic books... Uh, all of which have their own little thing that makes you, oh yeah, that's a Cronenberg film. Um, I think I don't think anybody back then watching stuff like um, uh, Scanners, Videodrome, Dead Zone, I don't think anyone would have gone, oh yeah, you know what? Later on in his career, he's going to do a drama about Freud and Jung. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> yes, I will say I haven't. I, I not being a horror fan myself. Um, yep. I've not actually seen any of his films, but okay, I will. <clears throat> I will say that I have at least heard of them. So, oh, for someone that isn't in the genre, the fact that I've heard of the films is, shows how big his reach is. If that makes sense, like I've heard absolutely of Light, yes, and I've heard of Videodrome, and I've heard of those sort of films. So, I think if you, even though um, I'm insectophobic, I'm saying this. I think if you can. Uh, find it in you to sit through the fly 
you really should for a couple of reasons. I think it's a really great introduction to his ideas and the way he approaches things. I think it's got a it's got an interesting balance of male and female perspectives going on in the film mm. and and fly perspective later on. And <laughs> I think also um it reveals something that a lot of people don't feel he has, and I think a dangerous method has that this as well, which is that a lot of it, a lot of people talk about his films as being quite cold and clinical, and I don't think they are. I think they have a lot of hidden or deep set emotion running through the characters. It's just that the camera doesn't choose to emphasize that or adopt that point of view, which mm. makes him in some ways the right guy to adapt a play about. <laughs> <laughs> Freud right. and Jung, which, yeah. and we should point out that this play is based on an actual non-fiction historical work. Mm. Da- the Dangerous Method is the name of the original book, I think, from the seventies or sixties. American author. Was it later than that? Yeah, it's nineteen ninety-three. That's not the play. No, the the play was two thousand two. Okay, then I have got my timeline completely wrong. <laughs> They're from my notes, anyway. No, no, no. That's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're correct. So, um, a ninety-three book, and uh, actually, that makes sense because that was that would that reminds that's why there was the whole uh, brouhaha over the fact that the book restores to so what some would consider her rightful place in the story of the development of psychoanalysis, mm. um, the character played by Kira Knightley, Sabina Spurin, who's a Russian Jewish. Um, well, initially patient of Jung, and yes. then later on student, and then later on still uh, colleague. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of people who felt there was a lot of uh, controversy over the original book because people felt that she was being given undue prominence versus the role of the two famous men. Whereas mm. there, were, and then there, but I think at this distance now, I think people are slightly more aware that her role is actually quite important and essential to certain ideas and development. And mm. the play then dramatizes that. Yes. And the film takes that into a beautiful, lovely, lush period drama. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. Yes. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Um, there was a few scenes that I was glad that I was watching it after Evie had gone to bed. Of course. <laughs> of course. It's an adult play about adult things. Yes. Um, Funny enough, I saw, oh, this film is about Freud. Uh, yeah, but after bedtime watching, I think, just in case Evie walks in. Of course. Um, yeah. So that's how I've got to judge films now. Um, but at the same time, you could tell that they made sure that the locations were correct. Um, is this the only other film I've seen Virgo uh, Mortensen actually in other than Lord of the Rings? Oh, really? Yeah. You've not seen any... Wow, okay. Unless so... I, I've seen him in something and I just didn't know it was him. No, but... you will always know it's him. He's quite... <laughs> That's okay. So so what did you think of him in this role? Oh, it was weird because I was just like, That's Aragorn. What is he for? <laughs> and I was kind of going, I wonder if he's still got a limp because he broke his foot. <laughs> mm, yeah, but... <laughs> well, I mean, he, the character does walk around with a cane, doesn't he? Yes. But at the same time, a lot of the time I was forgetting it was him, mm. which, like, again, like with Fassbender, because he's, obviously I know him mostly as Magneto, mm. it's mm. another one of those, I see his other characters him, but at the same time he sinks into the background and kind of is the character? 
mm, at yeah. the same time. And I think, Karen, I think the three leads, they managed to find people that did that very well. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. I think it's very interesting that we have a play in which um, we have people who are European mm. who speak, all, all the characters speak in in terms of their native tongues, they speak other languages than English. Yeah. But in the movie, everybody is doing English just with accents. Yeah. And that fascinates me because there is always a question with history films and films about history as to what is the best way to um, convey to the audience uh, what's happening. So... Do you sub? Do you have everyone speak in the language they spoke in at the time as best we can reconstruct and and, and subtitle it? Which of course was um, Mel Gibson's choice for the Passion of the Christ. Mm. Or do we have people do accents? Um, because Sorry. one of the things, uh, the reason I laugh over Passion of the Christ is always because my dad. Uh, the first time my parents were going to get divorced, um, my dad decided to try and take my mum out on a date to see Passion of the Christ, and so I warned him that it was. You realise it's mostly in Arabic, right? <laughs> it's, well, it's it's not even Arabic; it's in Aramaic, which That's, is yeah, which is even you know more more kind of you know esoteric for people who don't know about how widely used it was at the time. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely, and and on top of that, there's also the massive amount of gore. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I like, mean, like that no. would have been the other thing to tell him. <laughs> yes, I was like, no. the thing is, I hadn't even seen it. I just knew the reviews, and I was like, oh yeah, no, Dad, if you're t- trying to woo Mum, no. <laughs> but the, the thing is, if you come back to this film, it's very interesting because there are, and you have Viggo Mortensen who is Danish American and mm. speaks multiple languages and has acted in multiple languages i mean you know if you want to see him uh, act in spanish watch um the 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 movie adaptation of the alatristi books and um oh, what's the other language i've seen him act in there's another one anyway he he can act in michael fassbender of course is uh german irish mm. and um anybody who's seen him in uh glorious bastards from quentin tarantino will have heard him speak absolutely perfect german and to be fair mm. you'll have heard him say that as uh, magneto as well yeah um so we know he can perform in other languages so it is it intrigues me that all of them are performing in english even though you could probably have got them to perform in other languages um i suppose the question would have been then which language um and i i also presume and i don't know for sure but i presume knightley doesn't speak russian so that would have been a mm. you know you would have had to cast somebody who's actually russian then and i think while I, w- I am all for appropriate casting, I think we would have been robbed of what is easily her best performance mm. in some time at this point. And and, and also, I think it's just, uh, for people who don't think she's a particularly good actress, I think it's a bit of a a statement to them as to how good she really can be. Yeah, I think because she's been in stuff like Pirates, it's it makes people look down on her, which mm-hmm. I'm like, or the fact that like one of her first films was Bend It Like Beckham. It's well, like... which, which, funnily enough, I rewatched a few weeks ago, and and Kim watched it with me. Yeah. And she was watching this with me, and she was like, "She's really come on." I was like, "Yeah, she has." Mm. Um, and then we have Vincent Cassel, one of my favorite actors of all time from France, who plays Otto Gross, who is a another colleague in the psychoanalysis business, with, mm. uh, who visits who visits Jung, and um, Cassel, of course, acts in French, acts in English, acts, you know, he's just hugely capable and and again you know it's it's 
I wonder if the conversations he and Jung had were what language they were in. Were they in German? Were they, you know, were they in French? Or what? Mm. You know, it, it intrigues me that there is a version of this entire narrative that doesn't happen in English. <laughs> but I think that would have been asking too much of international audiences and also international funding because the moment you yeah. say to people who are paying for movies to producers hey i want to make this movie and i want them all to speak the language the producers go no mm. <laughs> we won't make any money back i um, think with uh Kira knightley's performance and with her accent oh it's very good be- i thought because it was it's more pronounced than um freud and young's i think that makes her the more foreign person which is how i would see the relationship of an Austrian and oh, what was young? Um, the young Swiss. Swiss. So, kind of Russian. like Russian is a bit more foreign to them than Austria to Swiss. Oh, I oh no no no! Yeah. I think you're absolutely spot on there. I think you are spot on, um, and I also think the film is quite subtle about certain elements it's only when she goes to talk to freud that freud raises the issue of him and her both being jewish until then it's not raised as an issue and i think it's one of the many things about both hampton's screenplay and cronenberg's direction of this that i think uh the film doesn't yell at you it doesn't shove stuff in your face you know it's not like pirates where you need a big sign saying this person's from the british navy this person (laughs) is not you know um you know like even though they're wearing the uniform they go my name is colonel so-and-so of the british navy like yes dude i got that when i saw the i saw your uniform you're wearing a red coat dude (laughs) yeah and you've also got this you've also got whatever markings i expect you to have as an officer but of course the majority audience don't know that and that's the thing but but cronenberg is making this for an, a knowledgeable adult audience. Yeah, so you're, he... you're expected to at least know who Freud is. Yes. Not necessarily everything about him, but you're meant to have at least heard of him. This is very much a film that needs you to have some interest in the topic itself before you come to it. Yeah. And also to have some understanding of the backgrounds of these people as well as where this all leads. Mm. It's also worth noting that the film starts prior to World War One. Yeah, um, it's set. It's it, it, it starts initially in 1906, Zurich, Switzerland, uh, at the Bogolsli. I can't speak German. Sorry, my apologies to German speakers. One of the Bogolzli very Clinic. few languages you can't. European languages you can't. Speak. Oh it's, uh, no, I only speak one and half of another. So um, it's more than but... me. <laughs> I'm always impressed. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate that. Um, so, uh, but yes, yeah, so it starts in 1906, and then it moves forward with the relationships between the three, and mm. it does it very, very well indeed. I feel, um, and then it ends with a series of title cards that tell you about what happens in World War One and after World War One, into and even into World War Two with yeah. these with these characters. Um, so, from a historical point of view, the film is. Uh, and the letters that you see written in the film uh, are, are the, the dialogue, the text from them is taken from real letters. Yeah. So once again, we see a history film as we did with, um, what was it we recorded? Glory. With Glory, where actual historical sources are not only the, the, the basis for the script, but feature in the film itself. Mm. And they're in their, their original language in these. So that's another way that it shows that they're not actually speaking English. True. Because the text in the background is not translated. 
true. I think Cronenberg handles it quite well. All, yeah. all told, I think he gets across a lot of ideas. The thing that most people would associate with Cronenberg that is fairly obvious is that there is a distinctly sinister mood or tone, particularly in the um, in the uh, clinic scenes. Mm. Um, in in the scenes where where early scenes where Jung is trying to analyze Spuren yeah. and he's talking to her, even though there's just two people in an ordinary room and there's no violence, there's an immense amount of. It's quite he 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 frames it and shoots nightly, and nightly's called on as an actress to deliver intense emotion, and it feels you know it's bordering on a horror. Mm. Because she, she's think... committed with hysteria, but of course hysteria was a bit of a catch-all by then. Yeah, I think also with a psycho um, ward, I think is that the right term that the period psychiatric hospital. Yes. Um, it uh, at the time it would have been a horror story. Yes. Because of what was happening to people, other than the people trying to use psychoanalysis and develop it. Because well, the stuff they were doing to people was just horrific. Well, I mean, this is the core of what the film is about. Because mm. Freud is 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 developing this idea that we could talk, that therapy could be based around conversation, talking, mm. rather than anything more invasive or more physical. And mm. Jung believes that that is not only a useful method, even though people perceive it as a dangerous method. Mm. But it's what he's attempting to do with Spielrein. And since Spielrein yeah. feels that it ultimately works, she then herself becomes interested in both studying it and advocating it for it. Mm. Um, but the thing that's interesting, the thing that the film reveals, which I, which, you know, you kind of, I sort of vaguely know, because I, I have done a little bit of study in this area, but not a lot, um, is that the the key, it, it, the, the, the play in the film distinguish the key difference between Jung's approach and Freud's approach as being based on two things. One is Jung is insistent on looking at areas that Freud regards as parapsychology. Yeah. So spirituality and um, dreams and dream therapy, you know, things that we know for the time period were, you know, Conan Doyle's doing the same thing in England, you know. Mm. Um, Freud regards these things as not only unserious, he regards them as taking away from the the greater work they're yeah. trying to achieve the other thing is that freud doesn't appear in this version of events to be interested in a full-blown cure in terms of changing who you are his belief is that the cure results is only based in understanding yourself not mm. changing yourself from that or developing further and jung believes that fundamentally in the idea that as a doctor his job is to make sure that i don't just cure you of what you're suffering but i give you the tools to move on Mm. And Spielrin, you know, finds herself moving between these two because fundamentally she thinks Jung has a point there. Yeah, and also there's a lot of conversation about the fact of Freud is obsessed with sex. Because well, you can't you can't have Freud and not have sex. <laughs> true, but I thought I, I felt I felt like the film didn't overdo it. Yeah. He I doesn't felt... you know, he doesn't come across like a raving pervert as most people no. would felt he was. Although the family dinner is quite seen early on is quite funny, <laughs> um, I just like the fact that 
one of the kids there is Anna Freud. <laughs> really? Yeah, because she she would have been at home at that time. So of course. I I wish they had a little arrow pointing. This one's Anna. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I just think that the um, I think it's amusing because, of course, again, it it's where the film. Um, plays with the conventions of period drama because mm. we, you know, we're so used to watching these films where the dinner scenes are important, but we don't get a lot of, um, uh, you know, the, the the anything that's shocking is usually plot driven, mm. and people tend to be very kind of trying to 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 restrain themselves. You know, Edwardian era, isn't it? So, for, mm. from an English point of view, and um, here we have the <laughs> discussing things. Or starting to discuss things that are quite potentially uh, very unsavoury. Yes. <laughs> you suddenly realise the entire family <laughs> is sat at this table. <laughs> Part of their thirteen-hour conversation, <laughs> right? You know, and, and it's, uh, although although at least they then re- you know the conversation. The, the movie then cuts to after dinner when they've retired to the to to, to the to Freud's office, and you kind yeah. of go, okay, that's more what I'd expect. Um, and I, I think that's the other thing people don't give Cronenberg enough credit for is his sense of humour, um, mm. which I think comes through very nicely in the film. Um, but I also think the idea of emotional attachments and relations, you know, um, Jung's wife, you know, Sarah Gadden plays it incredibly well. She's like a lot of Cronenberg characters. She seems very, very buttoned up and restrained, but very much very intelligent, very much on point from the moment she's, you know, listening to her husband and being the dutiful wife, but then demonstrates penetrating intelligence in the way she responds to his ideas and puts him on the right path. She was a very interesting character and obviously important to the story. Mm-hmm. And you can... The way that she got around the fact that she knew... um I'm just going to say Kira Knightley was sleeping with her husband. Mm. It's you can see the sort of tact that people in that era would have to have while still kind of wanting to do what they want. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. So. And I think it's it's quite interesting that when she suspects her husband of having an affair early on, it's directly related to her being pregnant. Yeah. And she regards it as well, she verbalises it as as if it's her own failing. Oh, look at me, I'm unattractive because I'm so fat. Mm. And he tries to reassure her and says, no, I'm not going to be with someone else kind of thing. And she said, if you did, I wouldn't want to know. Mm. And the problem is, once she says that, <laughs> you you know, it plants a, it clearly plants a seed in his mind. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, you because he, he doesn't restrain himself as much as he should the next time. And I think that's kind of one of the things I found interesting about the film is that throughout, you know, when Freud when Freud says to, 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 um, to Sabina, you know, to Spillerian, sorry, he says, you know, you, you, you know, he's, he's Swiss, you know, he's a Swiss white male, what do you expect kind of thing. Mm. Um, Protestant as well. Yes. I thought that uh, I, I, you know, it, he's, it summarizes a number of things. But then, as the film progresses, particularly as time moves on, and and she, you know, gets her 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 gets her her training and education, and becomes a professional, and all the rest of it, and then gets married, mm. and they have uh, the, the final scenes of the film where there's a discussion over not just their methods, but also what happened between them. I thought it was very interesting that 
Um, there is he claims still to the end to have to fully be in love with her, mm. and yet he says to be who he is, he had to give her up. Yeah. Now a lot of critics at the time and the write-ups of the film at the time felt that the film comes to a relatively unsatisfactory end it sort of it feels slightly sudden but i actually think that that itself that what i just said is is the point yeah it's the end of life is like that yes yes exactly exactly i think it's a very grown-up ending i also think it's the sort of ending you expect from a theater play Mm. because it's about characters and character resolutions you know, we reach a point at which each of these three characters has made certain decisions and this is where they are at and they are now separated. And so there's not much of a play at this point to go on. There's not much of a story to mm. carry on given that all three of them are going off in completely different directions. Yeah. You know, at this point you'd have to really make it all up <laughs> if you wanted to keep them in the same story. Like. Yeah, especially as um, what is going to happen in Europe very it like just a few months down the line at the ending of the film world war one yes and that's getting into some very different territory which then of course causes the knock-on effects of world war one and then going into world war two which yeah and obviously even though it's not you can sort of see the anti-Semitism in the area starting to be a thing, like the fact of how Freud talks about it. Like, yes, no, it's people. clearly a thing he's experienced. Yeah, and the fact of um, how people treat them, uh, the fact of um, they're talking in the cafe and saying about the fact of um, it's mostly Jewish people talking about it. Yes. And then Carl Jung's just like, well, I don't see it. That makes a difference. And it's kind of pointing out that white guy privilege. Oh, very much so. Yeah. The, film, the film is fully aware of that. The play, the script, yeah. everybody, the performers, you know, the film is a very smart film like that. Hmm. Um, because you're dealing with people who, you know, one, there, there is a sense that this idea, this core idea can only come from somebody who is looking, who's from the outside looking in on a certain type of thinking. Mm. But then when the people who are on the inside go, oh my God, we, we, we should be doing that, then it's very hard for them to recognise why that it's easier for them to take it forward. Yeah. And also when uh, Freud and Sabrina are actually talking, he uses the term Aryans as well. Mm. And I think that's a really important thing, is that to remind the audience that these theories were around before the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just Nazis came in, boom, anti-Semitism. No. But it had always been there, and the theory of an Aryan race had been there, and mm. eugenics was going on in the background. And mm. I think too many people just think, this happened and that's when everyone became racist. And it's like, yes. no, it's much more complicated and there's a lot more going on in the background. Um, and so I think that's a really good reminder. And the fact of, at the end, it does say about the fact of uh, Freud was uh, chased out of Vienna by the mm. Nazis and mm-hmm. uh, moved to London. Uh, yes. where no. I, I've actually been to his house. So, oh, okay. yeah, I've seen his couch. <laughs> I do find it interesting people like uh, Freud and Marx who are so 
important to where we are now in history you know gravitated to london and went in england in general i find that fascinating mm. um but to come back to the film itself, one of the sorry. other criticisms... No, I'm, I'm thinking about... Sorry, I was about to drift off. I was about to start off on a massive tangent about <laughs> Britain and immigration, so which the film is not about. Um, uh, so I think the other thing that's really interesting here is for me is that, and again, criticism of the film at the time, is that it doesn't go deep enough. Some critics mm. felt that it is too shallow, that it's just... It's, it's almost... It's not quite a soap opera, but it is very much a personal drama. And again, I feel like I have issue with that because I think the film is incredibly well balanced between personal drama and our understanding of who these people were in terms of what they were trying to achieve professionally. Mm. I think the most important thing the film does, in, if, if any, and, and certainly the play, is, is, is it links intimately... And I use that word very carefully. The processes by which these people lived, their actual lives and actual emotional lives, and it it, it links that to their senses of understanding and discovery. You know, it's not we we don't operate in an intellectual vacuum. No. You know, we are people who live and we have emotions and we have feelings and we have... I mean, you can try and damp them down all you want. You can try and restrain them, absolutely. But in the I end... I see many British people trying to do that. Yes. <laughs> but as Jung says in the film, you know, we we know that repression leads to all kinds of problems. Yes. You know, in his conversation with Gross, with Otto Gross, who, who goes the other way and, and doesn't restrain himself in anything, in, in, in what is a vastly amusing way, because it's Vincent Cassette, you know, <laughs> he smokes, he drinks, he takes drugs, he shags everyone he possibly can. <laughs> Although that lady uh, that was in the orchard looked kind of bored. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. You, you can, one of the clever things about the way, when, when I say the film is is, is adult, is, is, is you are, everybody in the film you understand you you are given enough information to even if it's just visually in the performance to understand why they might be doing what they're doing mm. <laughs> you know in her case you can see that she's uh, there's a moment in her face where she's kind of like oh god really he's pouring at me and then you can just see her go actually i'm not doing anything else and this is quite fun <laughs> you know it, it, it's all in the acting and and that's what that i think is very yeah. grown up sometimes you know sometimes consent and how consent works is a matter of you know, it doesn't. It should be verbalized, but in a film like this, set at the period it is, I think it's interesting to recognize that even that Cronenberg is ensuring that you see that the there is, um, there is a visual cue to indicate consent. Yeah, and also, um, I think it's correct that it talks about different types of sex as well. Oh, it you can't do a play and story about Freud and Young without well, no. and, and gross for that matter without yeah. bringing it up and the fact of they actually it's one of the first thing there's been many films where there is a mistress and a wife and they don't seem to explain why someone might need two different people well, and... that's because a lot of films are made in a very Western Protestant sense, which is yeah. quite Puritan. And Cronenberg and, and his characters are stepping outside of that and examining that. And mm. that that's that brings us that that connects nicely to the point I was making earlier about Emma Young acknowledging that there might be needs that Young will seek elsewhere while she's pregnant. Yeah, and I found it's... that interesting. 
especially with the fact that she's pregnant and then you can link it into the Madonna Hall complex and yes. blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah no it all connects it all connects and yeah. it's very interesting it doesn't necessarily justify it but it is interesting um and I also find it very interesting that not only does the wife know about it clearly and understand it and comment on it you know and at one and at one point she gets she responds in a vicious manner which is a perfectly understandable and appropriate um but I also think it's interesting that she rec- she recognizes not victory is not the right word, but when she is sitting there, you know, when we're in the final scenes and she's talking to Spiron and they're having this conversation, and there's the acknowledgement, tacit acknowledgement mm. from Emma Young that she knows exactly who she's talking to, yes, <laughs> and what's what you know where they all stand, and it's kind of interesting because she does it in a manner that suggests. I won, but I didn't win everything. Mm. You know, the way she states, I'm fascinated by the way the performer's delivery of the line, um, he always trusted in your opinion Mm. or held your opinion high or something like that. And I just thought, yeah, "Yeah." you know, you know (laughs) that, you know, it's it's all there and it's very interestingly done. Um, Right. So we're coming to the end of the podcast. We have... um, we have we have we have time, but as always, it's time for us to decide allocation of uh, our spurious but fun award of how much percentage we do, we, we deem this film to be real R E A L and how much yeah. of it is real R E E L. I think for this one, it's quite tough because I don't know a lot about the period. Going very British um, centric terms. Edwardian Europe. Okay. I don't know a lot about it. And the fact that I refer to it as Edwardian Europe <laughs> should right. speak volumes, if that makes sense. Yes, it um, does. But at the same time, you can see the lavishment in like the locations, um, the clothing, the probably even down to the cigars that Freud's smoking. The mm. fact of his study is so cramped and filled with stuff. And it's... um, He does... Uh, if you ever go to Freud's house, you will see he had these collections of ancient Egyptian um, knickknacks, for the lack of a better word. Um, he had lots and lots of books. You can tell that that's his private room in the house where he's just stuffed everything <laughs> yes um, which and you you see the famous couch as well which looks exactly like the one that you see in uh britain as well and mm. they still uh draw notice to it because it is an important icon although people always imagine it as the is it a charm lounge uh, she's long, yeah. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. when it's not, it's more of a poof. <laughs> so, mm. no, 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 with absolutely. some cushions. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's. Is this an, this is this another case of um, uh, of you and I finding a film that uh, has the detail right rather than the broad strokes, or are we saying that? Actually, the detail is 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 pretty good and spot on. But in addition to that, there is the um, the layers of things that you are not as 
au fait with as a historian. Yeah, I'm just... I think it's probably around a 70. Mm. Because that's what I can sort of imagine Freud... I will also recognise that I don't know a lot about Jung. Mm. Um, I took A-level psychology and I've got... So I've got a full A-level in it, A2 and everything. And so I know a lot more about Freud than I do Jung. Mm. Because you you have a whole unit on just Freud. Because, and you learn about the co- different complexes, id, id, id ego, super ego, um, the subconscious and uh, the unconscious and conscious mind. And you learn about and, uh, the anal stage, which they discuss in this, and horses equaling penises, which... Because I was 16, I was giggling at because I was so mature. Um, but it's about the same time I met you, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, because I met you while I was in college. Um, so, yeah, it's. Um, I think he gets the broad. It, get, it tries to name check a lot of Freud's things in there as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure where I. Feel, but I do feel like it's a 70%. I'm going to agree with you because uh, I wanted to give it 80, but I think, mm. let, I, if you don't mind, I think maybe we split the difference at 75%. Yeah, sure. Um, I think Ham- I think Hampton's research and the research of the original author of the book, I think, you know, that's impeccable. Um, I think you expect a certain... You have to, there are certain things you have to do when you're creating a play and then creating a film in terms mm. of drama. And I think we have to give... We have to compensate for that. Um, but I also think that this has the, that wonderful blend of uh, period detail, um, superb acting, great dialogue that feels authentic to the time and place, even mm. though it's in English. And uh, it's a smart adult piece of work. It's it's a grown up film for grown ups. It doesn't feel like you know this is not a film. I'm going to go in and say, hey kids, let's watch this for a little bit. Of a look at the Edwardian era. You know, the, some films occasionally feel like they hit their school lessons. Yeah. This is this is this is not a this is not that noise. This a um, uh, noise. This a a, a film that is um. It, 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 yeah, this is not. This doesn't start with the primary aim of education. This is the entertainment first, mm. and I think that that is the 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 the, the yardstick by which we need to measure it. Um, but then, in addition to that, um, you know, we we need to say, well, actually, you know, if we are going to acknowledge that this is how that it's you know this is what it is, then the history context I think has to be look viewed within that. You know, mode. The other films we we you and I look at in these podcasts, we often say, well, you know, the film is 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 claiming to be historically accurate in the publicity, so let's take it apart. You know, yeah. Um, but here, it's the other way around. Here, the film is is a, is is very much no. We're doing Christopher Hampton's play. You know, mm. this is what we're doing. Hampton wrote it. You know, which you know, Knightley's been in a Hampton work before because she was in his his adaptation of the the novel Atonement. Um, oh yes. You know. Yeah, um, you know, Mortensen has quite the relationship with Cronenberg as well. You know, um, it's it 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 is it's as much a vehicle for them to do to to sort of push the boundaries of what they're usually expected to do and to sort of 
flex those acting muscles that you don't normally see in blockbusters, which they all do. Mm. Um, and so I think really the historical content deliberately is 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 is. is that's not to say it's not there. I think it's fantastically present. As you say, the the details, the officers, I mean, I haven't paused to have a look at the book titles, but I feel confident knowing the sort of people that Cronenberg's worked with over the years in production design. I bet we will see things that are absolutely, you know, spot on. One thing I I will say is that I did watch the behind... I watched the behind the scenes uh, quick Mm -hmm. featurette on the Blu-ray and mm-hmm. the fact of, uh, I think it was actually David Cohenberg, he was speaking in the Freud Museum, mm-hmm. um, which is the house that he was, because I could tell because of the location and they had the famous couch in the background and stuff. But you could tell, unless you knew where he was, you could just think he was in a set. Mm-hmm. But I think it's that little moment to detail kind of thing again. Yes. It's the fact of he's... He's gone to the Freud Museum in London, which is nowhere near where they were filming, to do his interview shots, which mm. I think that shows the little level of dedication he had for this. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I don't. I think even even his. Um, I, I think even when he, you know, every adaptation he's done, um, the detail of the 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 periods they're set in because they're they're all you know they're all different books and mm. plays you know he's he's adapted Madame Butterfly he's adapted um, uh, Naked Lunch uh, mm. he adapted um, the comic book uh, History of Violence um, but and then back in his horror day full on horror days he he did Stephen King's Dead so you know he, he in every case I feel like he makes a distinct effort to place the text front and center while still making sure that the film is is very much about his personal concerns what's interesting about this one is that even his personal concerns seem to step back slightly in favor of what you know the the point of the play itself and the topic and the characters and 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 and, and how this all works mm. um and as you say you know the, the 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 research is is there and evident on screen and i think that's very important Mm. Um. So, uh, yeah. No, I think I think seventy five percent. We'll give it. So, you know what we need yeah. to do at some point? We need to put a ranking up on 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 a website so that everyone can see what we're ask we're scoring so far. Yeah, that is something we need. There's a lot of things we need to do, <laughs> <laughs> and technically we have the time at the moment because yes. Yeah, so lockdown. it's something we'll we'll add it but... to the long list. <laughs> Oh, that list is just getting longer and longer. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, what we've got a bit of time left. Um, <gasps> one of the things I'd like to say to people, first of all, is that if you have any films you would like us to cover in future episodes, feel free to send suggestions to us either on Twitter at 4DA Publishing um, or to the email 4DA Publishing at gmail.com. Um, I will say fit... our, our, our sort of genres range from anything from the most highbrow I'm going to drink a cup of tea with my pinky finger out kind of thing to um I've suggested Italia to Hugh so yeah um <laughs> this is the thing so we we have we, you know as long as as long as it has enough historical content for us to discuss then it's good um, I'm going to make you watch Italia <laughs> at some point um 
so there's that. I think uh, if you're interested in seeing further information on any of the films we do, Jenna continues to do articles that are uh, about both this and other topics at bunkerzilla.co.uk. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I will be uh, getting back to blogging soon. If you're listening to us out on Bunkerzilla, thank you very much for supporting um, the online radio network and, um, you know, well, everybody at Bunkerzilla says thank you to you for yes. listening to us. If you are downloading us from Bunkerzilla's Mixcloud page or 48 Publishing's Soundcloud page, then again, thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate the um, interest. Please remember to like on those um, uh, channels. Um, and then, you know, uh, if you're listening to us anywhere else, like, subscribe, do all the usual things that allow these systems to indicate back to us whether or not you're interested, how you're interested, what you like. You know, we want to know here from you too. Give um, us a review. Yeah, Let absolutely. Let us know what we're doing. Because uh, I, I worry that I talk too much or that I don't talk enough or... Um, yeah. <laughs> Typical anxiety stuff, just like... <laughs> I'm not in the right level. How much am I not in the right level? But um, funny enough, talking about psychology. Um... Well, you know what? That was one of the fun things about it as well. I was kind of like watching this film as well made me think a lot about generally what we what we think psychology has done and how it has influenced things. I mean, particularly, you know, they're just when they go to America, they don't they show you the 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 basics of the trip, but they don't give you a lot of detail. No. Um the fact is that America for decades has been has, has been stuck in Freudianism to a ridiculous yes. degree. Um you know, the therapy industry over there is worth millions. And that's not to say it doesn't help. It's just that it is an industry. It yeah. has become an industry. You know, there there are you, know, you you often hear of people who uh, inappropriately are finding ways to keep charging patients and bringing them back, yeah. even though um, you know there's no need. They should have been, you know, the therapy should have had taken had positive effect by that point, um, and so forth and so on. But but also psychoanalysis and psychology has come so far. Yeah. From this will, early period. I will say with uh, therapy and America, it just makes me think of Lucifer, <laughs> considering one of the hooks is that the devil's in therapy. <laughs> you know what? It is one of the things I enjoy most about that series. It's Rachel Harris's performance as the oh. Doctor and, 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 and the way they they allow her character to be... She's kind of the audience figure sometimes. Yes, just going, oh God, what is he going to go to? <laughs> Yeah, but also kind of going. This is a lot to handle. <laughs> um, so yes, that that there is that aspect. Um, and I think I think a dangerous method kind of recognize gives you just enough to go. Oh yes, there's that bit too. But then moves away from it because that's not what the film is about. And again, mm. the film is very clear as to what it's about. And I think a lot of the criticisms of the film and it's, a, it's the, the history it address the way it treats the history it's addressing are fundamentally built on the reviewer's perspective of what they want to know mm. about Freud and Jung and not Jung and not what Hampton is interested in telling you and yeah. Cronenberg. And I think that's that's maybe the most important distinction. Um, okay, so uh, before I forget, Jenna, where can people find you online? They can find me at Nadeska Kitty on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm going to plug this because it's fun. Um, I now run a Facebook group called the Legendary... The... 
League of Extraordinary British Faces, which is all about uh, helping people with fan works and talking about British things like how we make tea and the fact that it's not in a microwave. Um, <laughs> and uh, I've been producing some resources for that, including a queer history resource, which you can find reference to me and Hugh on there, because, of course, I'm going to plug up myself. Um, yeah, it's really good fun. So come find us on Facebook. Um and it's a nice, friendly group. Otherwise, you can find me on Bugazilla. You can find me, um, although this will be a couple of weeks in the past, I do do Big Stomp. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be on it tonight. So I'm actually recording two podcasts today. Um, and I think I'm talking about fan fiction. So that should be mm-hmm. really interesting. So, yeah. Fantastic. As of tomorrow, um, there will be an actual website at 48consultancy.com to go to. Oh my God. And people can um, go there and have a look at what I do. There is a page for 48 Publishing and all the podcasting we do as well. Um, and so I'm starting to centralize everything I do as I uh, put myself out there for more work. Um, so people can find out Hi, what I do. Hi, um... <laughs> People can find out what I, what I do when I'm not doing podcasting. As well as what you we do, do something that isn't podcasting uh, occasionally. <laughs> uh, so there's that tomorrow. Uh, you can find me at Hugh K David on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find me at um, Skype as well. Actually, if you want to contact me on Skype, use Forty Eight Publishing. Um, Oh, no, sorry, use 48 Consultants. I've got too many addresses, haven't I? Uh, <laughs> I need to narrow this down. Um, but we will put all this up where people can find it. And yes. we look forward to hearing from everybody um, the ideas that you have as to how we can take this forward as well. Um, yeah. And, yes, so thank you very much. Um, this has been Real History UK. Uh, I'm Hugh David, and you are... Jenna Pateman, so and thank you. That's it. that's it for this episode on A Dangerous Method, and we look forward to talking to you uh, during our next episode. Cheers now. Yay! See ya! <laughs>